I always wanted to come into that. You said you always wanted to come into that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, does. Maybe I can do that on the field sometime? Maybe not, maybe not. Okay, all right, uh, good. Maybe not. Hey, everybody, Sam's in the house. Say hello again. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to say uh, welcome to those of you watching us online. Welcome to our campuses. So glad to have you here. My name's Tim. If you're just tuning in, I'm the, I'm the pastor. Every once in a while, we like to just uh, have a t- little bit of time to talk with somebody whose faith and journey intersect in a different way than we're probably all used to. And all of us have a unique journey on our faith journey, but, you know, doing it inside the NFL is just a, a unique thing. And I've got a chance to know Sam and his story. Uh, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time today. You know, I was thinking about Sam. A lot of the stuff that Jesus did, very little time did he spend, like, standing up in front of people preaching. A lot of it was this. It was conversation. And a lot of the stuff that we know about his teaching was this. So that's kind of what we're doing today. We just wanted to do that uh, and invite a few friends. So welcome into our conversation and uh, welcome to Parkview. We're really glad to have you here. So tell me a little bit about getting started in, in football. Okay. I mean, cause that's what, you know, brought us to this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is my, I'm going on my eighth year in the NFL, mm-hmm. uh, four years in Arizona, three years in Chicago, but the the crazy part about that whole journey is that I never believed I was going to make it to the NFL. So a lot of kids, when they grow up, it's their dream to make it, right? You might be five, six, seven years old. I'm going to go play for the, the Bears or the Bills or the Broncos. That was not even in my conversation, right? Most people on Saturday afternoons, they spent watching college football. I spent watching cartoons. That was my deal. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so, but, but what happened was, so God opened up a door. So my younger brother, Emmanuel, who also played in the NFL for a couple years, he was the huge football fiend. So he'd be watching YouTube. He played linebacker and, and, and running back. So he'd be watching YouTube and watching Walter Payton, yeah. who I didn't know who he was at the time. Yeah. He'd watch Ray Lewis, who I, once again, I was like, I think I heard of the guy, right? Yeah. Like he'd be yeah. watching that, trying to get better. And I was like, dude, let's put on some, like, some cartoons. Like, let's watch Recess. <laughs> and so, so anyways, what happened was how I'd gotten to the NFL or even got acclimated to football was my you junior year. Until... I started playing in the, I started playing in the sixth grade. Okay. So sixth grade was my first year playing football. And I just played because my brother played. And he was younger than me, and he was playing running back, and he was scoring touchdowns, and everybody was cheering for him, and I wanted that. I wanted all of that. And unfortunately, I was a little bit too big. I was a bigger kid, so they made me play offensive line, which is, anybody knows football, that's like the least loved position, right? The only time you get get your name called is when you make a mistake, holding, chop block. I mean, and that was me, right? I I hated it. (laughs) And so thankfully the next year I switched over to defense and I was able to start playing and I was playing football, basketball, track, but it wasn't until my junior year where my brother and I showed up to this football camp at USC. So we're from Dallas, Texas. We were born in Dallas, born and raised there. We go to this football camp at USC back when USC was winning national championships Mm -hmm. and we didn't realize it was an invite only camp. Your brother just found it, right? Yeah, he looked online, heard about this camp. He said, let's go. We had friends in California, let's make the trip. And so we show up. And it was an invite-only camp. And we weren't invited. <laughs> so somehow, some way... At least not at first. Yeah, well, somehow, some way... I think they just saw... We were like, we were bigger kids. So I think they just let us... Come on in, guys. We'll be good. And they let us in. But what, what I didn't realize is that it was the top 300 camp. So what it was is like they got the top 300 athletes from all of California to come for this camp to see who wanted to be the, to, to be the best in, in California. And so we show up. And I didn't know if I was even good or not. My school was a small, small private school, 80 people in my graduating class, uh, college prep. I mean, it wasn't a football school. So I go to this camp, and next thing you know, I start doing really, really well. 
we have one-on-ones with, I'm playing defensive end, we have one-on-ones, I'm beating all the guys in front of me. Coach Carroll, Pete Carroll at the time, he was the head coach, he calls me up to his office, me and five other guys, and says, you guys did unbelievable and awesome job. We're really interested in offering you guys a scholarship, but here's the deal. We have one more camp coming up at the end of the month, right? So this camp was at the beginning of the, of the, of the summer, another camp in about a month, month and a half. He said, we're going to have that camp happen, and then we'll call you to let you know if there's an offer on the table. I said, all right, sounds good. Thank you so much, coach. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, and I said, oh, but one thing, one thing. So in about two weeks, I'll be going to Nigeria on this medical missions trip. So my, my parents were born and raised in Nigeria, and so every summer we do these medical missions trips in Nigeria with doctors, nurses, surgeons, dentists, ophthalmologists, pharmacists, et cetera, mm-hmm. and we, we go and serve the people who need, need help. Yeah. And so I said, so coach, if you, I'll be in Nigeria, so if you call and I don't pick up, it's not because I don't like you, it's because I have no service, right? And so he's like, all right, don't worry, we'll be fine. Lo and behold, two weeks later, in the airport, I get a call. It's Ken Norton Jr., who's a recruiting coordinator for USC. Sam Monster, how you doing? Hey, coach, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good as well. I got some great news for you. We want to offer you a scholarship to the University of Southern California. Floored, right? I'm floored. I'm excited. I'd had no offers from from no one. I didn't have any offers from anyone. And and so uh, I said, coach, sounds good. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. He said, oh, but one thing. Coach Carroll's right next to me. I'm going to give him the phone. I need you to verbally commit and tell him I want to be a Trojan. Wasn't ready for that. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't even looked at your options. I didn't know much about football, but one thing I knew is that if you give a verbal commitment, it means you're going, you're going to that school. And I hadn't even got a chance to visit any other schools or even get a chance Deep to understand what I was doing. You wanted doing. to go to Norman, Oklahoma. And you no, knew, no, I'm a, you knew that. Hate Oklahoma. <laughs> hate is not even in my vocabulary. Oh, so I'm, I'm a long, I went to Texas, right? And so like, we don't really... We, we have a problem. I actually might slide my chair over. But anyways, so... <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that later. Uh, so, so he says, just tell Coach Carroll, I want to be a Trojan. That's all you have to say. And so I said, wait, but, 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 here's Coach Carroll. Give him the phone. And so we start talking back and forth, and we're just talking a little bit. How's your day? I'm doing good. How's your day? Going, going. And so finally, Pete Carroll says, Sam, is there anything you want to say? Uh, breaking up. Breaking up. Something like that. <laughs> hey, Coach. I just wanted to say that I would love the opportunity to one day think about the potential of maybe <laughs> being something like a Trojan. Coach, I got to go with the plane's taking off. Hang up. <laughs> Hang up the phone. Oh, man. Go to Nigeria on this medical mission trip. I'm freaking out. What have I done? Oh, my, this is my only, my dream is ruined. And, but my dad told me, son, calm down. You're gonna, it's going to be okay. Let's just serve. Don't worry about it. We go, we serve. On the way back, my phone turns back on, right? We get service, and all of a sudden, it's ringing off the hook. At 50 missed calls, 30-something messages from all the coaches from all around the country, mm-hmm. including Bob Stoops from yeah, Oklahoma, yeah, who I said no you. to. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Teams that found out that USC had offered, and they had also found out, they, they saw my highlight tape that was put on a recruiting website, mm. and all of a sudden, God opened up this enormous door for me to play football in college. So, so I mean, pro- just, just to process that, you know, it's like, I, I want to be obedient. I want to do the right thing. I'm going to go to, and we'll talk about Nigeria and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm going I'm to go do what God's called me to do. I'm going to say no to something or at least not commit to something that I don't necessarily know is what God wants me to do. You come back from this thing and the whole world is your oyster, right? I mean, yeah. it, 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 was, it was obedience 
and a, a little bit of time yeah. to be away from things and come back to see what God has done. Yeah, and it's just interesting. I mean, and, and we're going to get into it more, but just part of my story is just uh, all I can say is, is look at God. I, there's nothing else I can say. I can't point at me. I can't point. I mean, the highlight tape was great, but I can't point at the back of my jersey, right? All I can say is look at God because everything that I am, everything that I have is, is, is a result of what God has done in my life, mm. right? Being an open vessel, being willing to be used, being right. like something in me said, don't say yes to this, right? Don't be, this, I was 17 at the yeah. time. I didn't know, but something in me said, you don't want to make a commitment and then fall back on it, mm-hmm. right? So I, I didn't say yes. I found a way and and I thought everything was ruined. And that would have been fine. Yeah. You probably would have had a great career yeah. at SC. Yeah. I mean, but, but, but God had but better plans. There's nothing wrong with waiting on God. Yeah, God had better plans. And he yeah. came back and he just showed up, right? I, I came back and he just showed up. To, I, 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 wish, I, I just wish you all could have been in my shoes because I was just, I was, football was not, a, I didn't know, yeah. I thought, I literally thought, you know, the Bible says, okay, Jesus is going to come back. I thought Jesus would come back before I played football in the NFL. All right, I'm like, God, like, all right, all right, Lord, like, where are you, like, what's the deal? Like, well, that's I'm true getting for, offers. It doesn't make sense, you know? It's true for most of the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So tell us about Nigeria. Tell us about your family, you know, background, that kind of stuff, um, and how you ended up in Dallas and yeah. just some of that. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful, so, it's a beautiful story. Yeah, so my parents were born and raised in Nigeria. And they came over, over to the United States in their early 20s. And so I was born in Dallas and, and raised and your there. Your dad's like a psychologist, right? Yeah, he's a, my dad's a, a psychologist. He's a, he's a PhD. He's a, he's a marriage counselor. Yeah. And he's also a pastor and an entrepreneur and does, does a ton of stuff. He leads these trips to Nigeria to do medical mission work. And so, and so they come to America just to kind of, he was preaching and wanted to have a better life for his family, mm-hmm. right? So we were raised in Dallas in this uh, called a Nigerian household, right? The foods we ate, the way that we were raised, everything was almost like we were still in Nigeria, mm-hmm. right? The church we went to, the, the church my dad was a pastor at, was a church in South Oak Cliff, which anybody knows Dallas, that'd be like, uh, like the south side of Chicago. Right. Yeah. Like it was the hood, yeah. right? Yeah. The school I went to was St. Mark's School of Texas, so it was the number one private school in all of, all of Texas, and all, now it's all the United States, uh, pretty much an all-white school. Mm-hmm. Right, so I got this Nigerian household, this all-black church, this all-white school, and you got me just looking there like, hey guys, I'm Sam. And so like God gave me this cool little, like he gave me just like a, a peek into a bunch of different worlds, yeah. right? And I think a lot of times, obviously, you know, this, this, this last weekend was, uh, you know, the anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination, right? right? right. 50 years. Right. And we think about all that he's done to help bring this country together. And you know, I, I don't know, I just think sometimes that we miss that. We miss that. Why, why do you think that is? Well, just from my experience, I just feel like people are so comfortable staying in their own bubbles. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the things, the great things about playing in the NFL. So you, I come from a background where one guy next to me might be from, from the most rich, rich part of town, mm-hmm. uh, privileged environment, mm-hmm. privileged upbringing. And the other guy right next to me might be from, from, from the swamp. Yeah. Right, like yeah, I remember being in college. Yeah. There's a, there's a, one of my teammates named Chris Jones, who we, we went, he went to Texas as well, and he's from a place called Dangerfield, Texas. Yeah, you laugh. It's real. Like, name. like his dad. So his dad was, his uncle was the biggest drug dealer in town, and his dad was the second second biggest mm-hmm. drug dealer in town. Mm-hmm. And he told me, he said, "Well, Sam, if I wasn't playing in college, if I didn't play in college, I either would have been a drug dealer or a killer." Mm-hmm. I've heard of drug dealers. I never heard of killers before. Like it was like, yeah. 
I, this, that, that's life. You got, that's curious. You got another guy named Adam Ulatowski who's from South Lake Carroll, the richest part of Texas. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and the same thing even in the NFL, you got guys from all different walks of life. And so I think one thing I've got a chance to experience is that these bubbles kind of bursting, mm-hmm. right? You get a chance to actually interact with someone rather than just, obviously, like it's one thing to, to just meet somebody, say hi, shake a hand. It's another thing to actually spend time with someone mm. who looks nothing like you, yeah. who thinks nothing like you, who acts nothing like you. And that's a benefit I think that, I, that I've been able to have just getting out of my comfort zone. My, I haven't told you guys this yet, but my wife and Bill Brown's wife and Laura Camp just got back from uh, Israel, uh, except they were on the Palestinian side of Israel because they went with a peacekeeping team uh, to find out, you, you know, all we hear usually is one side of things. We just hear, I mean, there's conflict. There was a reporter killed uh, just, just a couple days ago yeah. over there. You hear about the conflict, and it all seems like it's always the other side, right? It's always the Palestinians that are causing the problem, and Israel's just trying to do all the right thing until you go, you, you go bust into their bubble and find out about how they feel about having had their land stolen and all the things that have gone on along the way. Yeah. You, you, had a, you, you had a race you had a race bubble, but you had a two different kind of, I mean, you have a Nigerian African bubble, yeah. and then you had a South Dallas African American bubble, yeah. and then you saw the really white bubble, yeah. and, and you, you were able to see all those different perspectives, which gives you the opportunity to come along and, and try to, I, I think, help all of us, while at the same time challenging us to get outside of our little bubble and go, like my wife and, and the ladies did, go find out what's on the other side of that wall. I mean, literally in, in Israel, there's a wall, yeah. and you got you got to go to the other side of that wall and have conversations with some of those people before you can ever understand what that's like. Yeah, yeah, and even so, I'm so some people may or may not know. So, so I play in the NFL. People know that. Mm. Uh, but if you've been watching the NFL, you've seen some of these protests, right? Players taking knees and 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 protesting police brutality and and just some of the. Colin Kaepernick started protesting some unarmed black men getting killed by the police. That right. was that was right. why he protested. And so that had been going on for about a year, year and a half. All of a sudden, this September, talking about bursting bubbles, right? Yeah, no, uh, in September, right uh, a lot of the players got upset because uh, people in politics interjected with our league and saying players should get cut and kicked off the team. And, 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 and players were like, no, like, you're missing the whole point of why we're protesting, right? And so September, September 24th, week three of the season, we're getting ready to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. And this is when all the Everything players were up in, up in arms. Right. And it's, uh, I remember it was, a, it was a Saturday, the night before the game. And, and uh, you know, the president had said some stuff that some players felt upset about, mm-hmm. right? Right, wrong, or indifferent. Players felt upset. And so players were ready to respond. And the response was going to be, well, we're all, you know, you think, the, you think that guys who take a knee should be cut, should be fired? We're all going to take a knee. Mm-hmm. That was the feeling from a lot of the guys. And so the night before the game, I just, we have a chapel, and I just left chapel, and I was walking from our chapel to the team meeting. And all of a sudden, I turn, and I see George McCaskey, chairman of the Chicago Bears. Right next to him is Ryan Pace, general manager of the Chicago Bears. Next to him is John Fox, head coach of the Chicago Bears. So you met the And then Trinity. it's me. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm cut. This is my last day here. <laughs> Like, what did I do? Like, it wasn't me. I didn't, I didn't do it, whatever it's taught, right? I bet so, the three of them have never cut anybody in their lives uh, altogether. Come on. And so they come to me. They say, Sam, uh, we know players are upset. 
what are you all going to do tomorrow? What do you think that came to you? To be quite honest, I think they came to me because this is my third year. That was my third year with the team, and I think they looked at my, my character. I think so. Right? I think they had seen a guy. And that's one of the things that kind of, like, frustrated me a little bit, right? So you, you got guys who are grinders, right? Like guys who just work and work and work and work and work. And I felt like I, wanted, I was one of those guys, right? Yeah. I was working, I was working, but I wasn't getting the accolades. I felt like it never was worth it, mm. right? I'm doing all this work, and I'm not getting the yeah. results, right? You got, yeah. got guys next to me getting $50 million contracts, $30 million contracts, you're getting their pictures everywhere. And I'm like, God, I'm doing all this work. Like, yeah. why am I not seeing the benefits of it? And not even one of those, like, selfish things. It's like, God, I feel like I'm getting, like, pushed to the side. Right. That's what it felt like yeah. for years. Then this moment happens. Yeah. Sam, we need some help. What's going to happen? Talk to the guys. And so uh, I got a chance to talk to some of the teammates and, and Essentially, we decided to lock arms as a sign of unity. We decided to lock arms. So that game, we lock arms. We win the game. Uh, George McCassie comes to me afterwards and says, Sam, I appreciate the way you handled that. But I don't want this, if this is something that you care about, I don't want this to be the last time we talk about these issues. Mm. If they really matter, like, let's, 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 let's do something about it. God bless him. No cameras, no nothing. Let's just, let's do something. Mm. Right? He got out of his bubble. And so I said, all right, great. Let's do something, right? So I got out of my bubble, and what I did, he said, come up to my office and let's talk. Come up with a plan, talk to your teammates, let's do it. So I did. A week later, I come up to his office after talking to some teammates. I said, George, here's what I think needs to be done. And I said, I think change doesn't happen just by conversation alone, right? Change happens from experiencing things together. Mm-hmm. So I think we should experience some things. You Number can one, tell me about your bubble, but I need to go into your bubble. 100%. And see 100%. Yeah. So I said, let's do that. So I said, first thing we should do, I say we experience life from the police angle. Mm-hmm. So let's do a ride-along, a police ride-along in the south side of Chicago, Inglewood, District 7. Yeah. Let's do it. So the second thing I think would be great is I think we should, we should go to a prison in Illinois. Right? Let's see how some people on, on the other side of the law mm-hmm. are experiencing life. Number two, I said the third thing that I think would be great is we should go to a Lecrae concert, right? <laughs> that was just me. I love Lecrae, right? But, but he, and he said yes to all of these things, right? And I said, but here's the thing about Lecrae. Lecrae, is a, is a, he love, like he's, he's, he's an African-American guy, mm-hmm. loves Jesus, loves music, but also he's tackled some of these issues. Right. And so, he's, so we got a chance to, to do this police ride-along in District 7, Inglewood, experiencing that together. Got a chance to go to this prison in Kiwani, right? Three hours away. We drove three hours, went to this prison, spent time with the inmates, experienced that together. Then we go to this Lecrae concert, spend time, celebrate, have a good time, mm-hmm. but spend time with Lecrae afterwards mm. and just talk about how we can make change, right? This, this 61-year-old owner, white guy of the team yeah. Yeah. coming together with this 29-year-old, not white, not owner, right? Like yeah. opposites, uh, and people don't football. Owners and players don't really interact. It's like oil and water, yeah. Yeah. right? But he got out of his bubble and said, Let, come to me. And I said, all right, let's do it. And then he said yes, he showed up, right? So after those three experiences, the prison, the going with the police officer and also the concert, uh, we finished them up and I thought, okay, well, that was fun, that was good. Like, you know, thanks so much, Mr. McCaskey. Mm-hmm. He looked at me, he said, what's next? What do you wanna do next? Proud. And, proud. and so since then, we've, uh, we went to the, the African American History Museum in DC. Mm. 
Uh, we got a chance to go to the Super Bowl and visit with Alan Page, who's an NFL Hall of Famer and uh, the first African-American Supreme Court justice in the state of Minnesota. We saw this exhibit that he put together with his wife, with his wife called Testify, an African-American history exhibit. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we got a chance to go to the west side of Chicago and, and work with the school to help build a school in the west side of Chicago. And then finally, we went to another prison in Louisiana. And so uh, as far as like, how do you get from point A to point B, getting out of your bubble? I think it's two pieces. The first piece is sometimes you're in a position of, of power or influence or whatever, like George was in that, mm. in, in that scenario, right? Owner of the team, he writes my checks, mm. right? He's got power and prestige, yet he humbled himself. Right. The other side is someone maybe who may not be in as much of a position of power in that relationship or position of, of prestige. Right? That, that person has to be able to trust the other person. I know a lot of my teammates who I went up to after George talked to me, I said, hey, guys, I just talked to Mr. McCaskey. He got this great idea. We should go do this and that. They're like, oh, I don't know if you do that, Sam. I don't know if you can trust him. Hmm. I'm sure George probably talked to some other owners. Oh, man, I got this guy working together. I don't know if you can trust this player, George. That's the bottom of, that's the, bottom of the problem, isn't it? Right, right. That's but we really did. Good. But we did. Right? We got out of our, got out of our comfort zones, yeah. got out of our bubbles. And God was able to teach us so much. And so I think with any scenario, any relationship, you've got to actually spend time with someone. Right? I'm reading this book yeah. right now called Jesus and the Disinherited. And, and I think a lot of times in church nowadays, it's almost viewed as this, as this place for the rich and the wealthy and the well-to-do, where in all reality, Jesus came from and came for people with their backs against the wall. Right? He was a Jew from Palestine which was already oppressed, already oppressed. They were yeah. under Roman rule, yeah. right? The Jewish people were already being oppressed. Like that, he could have been, Jesus is like son of God, could have been born in any, anywhere. Mm -hmm. And he was a Jew from Palestine, right? Yeah. Like he came from and he came for people with their backs against the wall. And so in this book, it talks about, um, like, so, so this book is written by a guy named Howard Thurman who went to school with Martin Luther King Sr. Right? And so it's often thought that Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. King, walked around with some of this man's writings. Mm. And so in this book, he talks about this, this concept of contacts without interaction, right? Contacts without fellowship. And he says that contacts without fellowship can lead to ill will, right? Then if that ill will continues to, to breed, it leads forth to hate, mm. right? I see an owner, man, why didn't he pay me enough? Right? Or why didn't he just sign this guy? Or why did he cut that guy? Right? Or I see a player. Man, this guy's always out and about, and he's not dedicated to the team. See a pastor. Man, this guy's always on stage. Hmm. Right? I am. He is on stage. Uh, uh, but, like, we see all these different people, and we just kind of have these contacts, but don't, don't fellowship. Yeah. It can lead to ill will. But then you actually start fellowship, fellowshipping with someone, right? You have, you have dinner, dinner together. Yeah. You spend time with someone. You get to know them a little bit. You get out of your bubble. Right? It can lead to a newfound love and a newfound respect. Mm. And that's what I learned in my interaction with George McCaskey, right? This guy who had no business hanging with somebody like me humbled himself and said yes. Right? I think about a lot of us in this church. You know, I don't know where, what walk of life we're coming from, but there's a lot of people we need to start saying yes to. Mm. Sometimes we need to say yes to ourselves, right? Like mm. some, I know people who say, man, I'm not good enough. I'm not worth it. I'm not yeah. worthy of, you know, these big things. You're a pastor. You're an NFL player. What am I? 
right? But the Bible says that God uses the weak to shame the strong, right? He uses the poor to shame the rich. You know, it talks about boasting in our own weaknesses. Mm -hmm. That's what Paul writes. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. Right, I look at my life. This little guy who, who well, I wasn't a little guy. I was big, but I wasn't super athletic. But yeah, I was yeah, not yeah. a little guy. But this, this guy who had no dreams of making it to yeah. the NFL, but who God just used. One generation out of Nigeria. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and even, you know, like who God just used. And he's, keep, he's continuing to use and to use and to use and to use. And I got a teammate that just signed with us named Trey Burton, who played for the Philadelphia Eagles. The guy who threw the touchdown uh, on, that, on that reverse play. Yeah, Philly yeah. special, right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and we, we had dinner a couple nights ago, and he was just talking about how he said he's not the, not the best or not the smartest, not the brightest, but he's an open vessel, mm. right? We're all open vessels, right? We got to open ourselves up and, and let God use us. Mm. So one of the things we're going to do um, as a church is we're going to take this example and we're going to work off of it, okay? So whether you're, you know, whether you're George or whether you're Sam, um, we're borrowing an idea from Gabe Lyons and the Q Project down in Nashville uh, called Hashtag Up to Us, okay? And, and the idea is I want to challenge all of you. I mean, we, we were talking about this last night with Sam and a couple other guys. Percy, we're ta- you know, every yes you say to somebody is, is you're saying no to somebody else. I, so you, but we need to say yes to somebody from a different background than us. We need to say yes to somebody out of our bubble. So what I'm challenging you over the next couple of months, couple of weeks, whatever it is, is to go find somebody from a different background, neighbor, uh, a work person or whatever, and, and, and I don't care, religious, political, racial, whatever that background is, somebody that lives in a different bubble than you, okay, and, and invite them over for dinner. That would, that, that, would be the, that would be the best. Invite them over for dinner. If that's not going to work, go have a cup of coffee. And just be honest. Just, just go like George did to you. Just, just go, hey, um, I, I don't understand where you come from. I live in a little bubble, and you live in a different bubble, and I would like to understand your bubble. I feel like it, it, if I could understand where you came from and you could understand where I came from, we could start to solve the problems of our world and invite them over for dinner. So we're going to be hammering on that. We're going to be pushing on that uh, because I believe that's where this thing happens. It doesn't happen in government. It doesn't happen at the, you know, from the top down. It, it happens when, especially it happens when believers start acting like Jesus. And that's what Jesus did, right? He went into Samaria. That was, you know, that was his other bubble, whatever, whatever you want to call it. He was the guy who was hanging out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners. That was the other bubble. That's what, that's what we're challenged to do. Yeah. And even to that point, um, you know, to talk about the story of Jesus going through Samaria. The Bible said Samaria. Um, Samaria. Who? Samaria. Uh, Wow. Here you go. Um, well, the Bible says, that, the Bible says that, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Right. But if you actually like look at the map, he didn't really have to go through Samaria. There were other routes for him to get to where Jews he wanted to get to. Jews never went through Samaria. Right? They yeah. never went through Samaria. But Jesus did. He went out of his bubble. Yeah. Right? I think about people who he hung out with out of his bubble. Mm. Right? I'm reminded of, of the prostitute. Right? They were, they were getting ready to stone. Jesus, look at this woman. She's a prostitute. Let's stone her. And what does Jesus do? He comes. He looks at all the people with their stones in their hands. And he says, let he who was without, without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, they drop their stones. They walk away. 
You know what else he did? He stooped down. Yep. The Bible says, it's one of my favorite phrases, he stooped down. She's already on the ground. Yep. She's feeling the guilt and the shame. Yep. And he stooped down yeah. to be in the dirt with her. Yeah. And he doesn't condemn her. That's the thing. No. Like, like people think, I mean, imagine, right? Imagine if you see this woman in sin or this person in sin, how often we just condemn. Who do you think you are? Yeah. Or you didn't come to church or you're doing this, you're doing that. Right? Jesus doesn't condemn her. He stoops down, right? And he picks her up and he said, what do you say? He says, go and sin no more. Yeah. Neither do I condemn you. Right? He said, neither do I condemn you first and go and sin. Go and sin no more. And I think a lot of times we, we feel like, man, am I like, that God just is this, 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 this God who's just trying to guilt trip us. Mm. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. You messed up here. You messed up there. You're not, you're not this. You're not that. You'll never be that. And like, those are straight, those are lies from the devil. That's exactly right. Like those are lies from the pit of hell, right? That's right. That's exactly right. Right? Like Jesus didn't come into the God's world to condemn the world. He came to save the world. Right? That's John three seventeen. Yeah. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn us. Right? But that through his son, we can be saved. He died for us, right? Last weekend was Easter. We're celebrating Easter. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I let that sink in. Yeah. While we were still sinners. Right? And I think if we just get it, if we like really grasp that, right? Like what he did on the cross to bring us back to him, to reconcile us. Mm. I mean, you almost, you have no choice but to find someone who doesn't look like you, doesn't think like you, doesn't act like you, doesn't believe what you believe. And reconcile with them. Mm. That's what we're called to do. Jesus said the first commandment was love God. Second commandment, love your neighbor. Yeah. And your neighbor. And then he told the story. Yeah. When, when, when the guy goes, well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? He said, oh, well, there's this Samaritan. Again, yeah. those were the two major bubbles, okay? Black, white, you know, Palestinian, Jewish, whatever bubble you want to call it, those were the two bubbles. And it was a good Samaritan that yeah. stopped to help the guy on the road. That was the neighbor. Um, please don't forget that, that our calling is to just be Jesus. Mm. The world's not real happy with the church, mm. you know, I think in general. And yet the world still really loves the example of Jesus. Mm. How, do, how do we reconcile that with them, Sam? Yeah, yeah. How do we do that? Um, I think the first piece is, the first piece is understanding that we are loved by a good God. Right? Like we were loved by a good God. We have a good God who's up in heaven who loves us. Right? I think about, I think about um, Matthew 7, right? Asking Matthew 7, 7, asking will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knocking mm-hmm. the door will be open. I think about James 4, uh, t- uh, verse 2. It says, why are there fights? Why are there quarrels among you? Right? It isn't because you don't have something. You desire and you don't have. Then the Bible says you don't have because you don't ask. Like we have a God who says you don't have because you don't ask. Then he says you ask, you don't receive because you ask selfishly to spend on your own desires. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is being at, at, at odds with God? Mm-hmm. Right? He says, God, God, James says that God put this spirit inside of you, right? His spirit that he yearns jealously for. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think about this God who says, I have good gifts to give you, and I love you, and I want you, and I'm for you. And I think if we can believe that ourselves, if we can believe that we have a good God who really loves us and who's really for us, 
everything will change. Then we can let go of our evil desires, our yeah. selfish desires, our friendship with the world, whatever. If this relationship is straight, then this relationship happens, yeah. right? Yeah. Let's talk about that for you. Yeah. Uh, you're in a unique place, man. I mean, you didn't think this was necessarily where you're going to be, and yet here you are. You said you've had, you finally had somebody say, Sam, you just got to believe in, in, in who you are. Yeah. Talk, talk about that a little bit because we want to encourage you with that. We're, we as a church are so behind you, man. I mean, yeah. and can I just say, like, shame on you if you thought, oh, a jock from the Bears is coming um, and, you know, this, this, he'll have some funny stories. Um, I got some good stories. Now, dude, if I want some stories, I got stories. Dude right? like is, I got... The dude is so stinking smart. I mean, he has the academic Heisman Trophy. He's got an MBA already. I've already offered him a job for post-NFL, just so you know. I, I mean, you know, so, so shame on us for that. But you still have to believe in yourself like we all do. That, that I can believe in a good father, but what does he want from me? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so as I mentioned earlier, this is my eighth year in the NFL. And people think that... Um, you see us on TV, and we're making a lot of money, and we're getting all these fans and autographs, and uh, it's not that easy. Mm. It's not that easy. So this is my, my, my eighth year, and each of the last, essentially the last seven years, I've been on a minimum contract, right? What that means is that you can pretty much get cut at any time. Mm. Um, like I saw these coaches yeah, and owners, yeah, yeah. And like, oh, here we go. <laughs> um, um, but it's another thing. It's almost like you've, I had this feeling that I wasn't worth it. Mm. Right, I wrote this blog post a couple, a couple years ago when I was going through, through free agency the first time. Because uh, what happens when you're a free agent, you get this, uh, this, this number put on you. Well, you're worth this much. But you're definitely not worth this much. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not what God, that's not how God sees me. Right? He doesn't see a number. That's fascinating, man. Right? Like, he sees me as his child. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. Right? So I had to really come to grips with that. And so these last three years, Chicago, minimum contract, minimum contract, minimum contract. I got guys around me, 35 million, 20 million, 10 million. And I'm like, like God, like, where yeah. are you? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Let me get some millions. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> like, let me get some millions. Um, and, and the problem with that was that I was trying to get my worth from other people. Yes. Right? I was trying to get my worth from the coaches or the fans or my teammates. And this year, God taught me that I can only get my worth from him. Yeah. And there's a beauty behind that, right? I was, I, was, I was freed right. almost, right? Because I've been working for almost like the approval of, right. of the ownership, right? Okay, if, if I do really well, maybe George McCaskey will like me, yeah. and then, then I'll get a new deal, right? Or maybe my teammates will like me, or maybe my coaches. And God's like, it doesn't, they don't matter, right? You can't serve two masters, Follow me and serve me. And I finally, 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 after seven years in the NFL, came to grips with that this last season. Yeah. And, and it was, yeah. yeah it's fantastic. And it was, it was freeing. Yeah. Like freeing to a point where I finished a game and I literally, literally would walk off the field. And before I even went to my coach or another teammate, like me and God had a little, little conversation. What'd you think? He said, you did good, son. <laughs> Right, like that's like that. That's yeah. the spirit of God yeah. in me was like, you did good, and I and I was like, and that's all I need. That's all I needed. The next thing you know, the next thing you know, I started playing better. Right, this year was one of my best seasons, and yeah. you know, probably since my 
early in my career, I started playing better, right? And so, and so thinking about like these, this God who loves us, right? And who wants us to get our esteem and our worth from him. And we have these other desires where he's like, nope, this is where I want you, right? And it's on my timing. So fast forward this year, hard season, but play well. And uh, doing this, call it ministry with, with George McCaskey. And who's actually Catholic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so. Great um, Christian man. We're in, a, we're in, we're in a prison <clears throat> in Louisiana and free agency just started. And so much of me wanted to go to him and say, George, right? Like, yeah. if you really care about me, sign yeah. me back. Yeah, yeah. But God was like, no, I got this, right? And so I remember the night before free agency opened up and that before we're supposed to go into this prison, right? See the parallels between this whole Nigeria, leave, serve, prison, leave, serve. The night before, I'm with a couple pastors and I tell them what's going on. I've been getting minimums and minimums and minimums. And I'm a free agent. I finally like, give me my millions, right? Um, and we prayed. And this pastor, he said, let's pray. And he said, God, if it's your will, if it's your will, I pray that you would give, give Sam an, an abundant contract. I pray that you would give Sam an only God contract. Right? Not one that Sam could have done. Not one that George McCassie could have done. Not one that his agent could have done. Give him an only God contract. And I pray this in all things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we pray that night, go to the prison the next day, phones off, because you're not allowed to bring the phones in the prison, and uh, go in, serving, doing prison ministry, essentially. Go back to my car, look at my phone, see a missed call from my agent. Pick up the phone, he says, Sam, you're never going to believe what happened. <laughs> right? And I, get, I end up getting the deal of a lifetime. Look at God. Look at God, baby. I'm proud of you, yeah. man. We believe in you, too. Yeah. So, so here's what we're going to do, all right? Yeah, thank you. We're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to pray. Yeah, stand up. Let's do yeah. it together. Put your hands out. We're going to pray over Sam and, and Ghazi. His wife's on her way over. She, we're going we're gonna to be around to, uh, hanging out together a little bit. Um, I just want to, I want you to see a... Uh, African-American player in the NFL and an old white pastor standing in front of you saying, we're in this together. That we're believing. That I could be your dad, man. Yeah. I got a kid older than you. I could tackle you, though, you technically. Could, oh, yeah, yeah. You could have tackled me when I was a lot younger, too. That's beside <laughs> the point. What I'm saying is we, uh, we want to stand in solidarity before you. We want to pray for you. We're praying for an only God season Amen. for you. And it's not just because we're Bears fans. It's because we're, we're praying for you and your platform. That's what, that's what we want to have happen. So we're going to do that together. We're going to have communion. Um, we're going we're to listen to a song. We're going to have communion. Sam's going to come back up and kind of lead us in communion. So this is how we're going to finish out the deal. Um, when the trays come by, just take the cups out and hold them and We'll do this all together. Let's just pray right now. God, I just want to pray for, I want to pray for Sam, for Ngazi, for their two little ones, and another one on the way that is just a young family and a lot of challenges for that and living in this world. And we thank you for the only God story being a part of the Bears and being here. And I thank you for Mr. McCaskey and his 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 ability to to see what needs to happen getting out of the bubble. And we commit ourselves as a church to getting out of the bubble as well, Lord. 
I just pray, I pray for Sam and for his season, for his platform, that you will continue to bless him. Um, I, I just pray that you will help him to have so many opportunities to talk about you and what you've done. And I thank you for the work they do in Nigeria. I ask a blessing on that. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had together. Be with us and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.